We often like to say Shakespeare is for everyone. And you know what? It really, really is. From the Folger Shakespeare Library, this is Shakespeare Unlimited. I'm Michael Whitmore, the Folger's director. Theater artists have been taking the plays of Shakespeare into prisons for many years now. So the transformative impact these plays can have, while inspiring and remarkable, isn't new. What is new, though, and potentially groundbreaking, is an initiative being launched by the Detroit Public Theater. Starting about two years ago, artists there began recording the thoughts and ideas, the singular and uncommon insights and perspectives expressed by inmates whom they had worked with at the Huron Valley Correctional Facility a woman's prison in Ypsilanti. As we record this, those artists are in the process of taking all of that material and releasing it as a new critical edition of Richard III. Critical editions are those versions of Shakespeare with additional materials to give it context. Things like essays and comments by scholars and writers. In this edition, Shakespeare's still there, of course, but the facing page has a fresh look at the play and all of its underlying meanings spoken in the voices of women who are rarely part of the analysis of Shakespeare. As you'll hear, their thoughts can be startling, eye-opening, and truly notable. The co-founder of this project is actor, director, choreographer, and dialect coach Franny Shepard Bates. She joined us from her home to talk about how the project got started and what it could add to our understanding of Shakespeare's work. We call this podcast, Your Imprisonment Shall Not Be Long. Franny Shepard Bates is interviewed by Barbara Bogate. Franny, I'd love it if you could walk us back to the beginning of this critical edition. How did you get the idea? Uh, Yeah, we had been working at Michigan's only women's prison since 2012, and we had also been working at Parnell Correctional Facility, which is a men's facility in Jackson, Michigan. And we were coming in and sitting down with the men's ensemble, actually, and one of them had this idea, he said, for us to put out one of our versions of one of these plays because we we edit them down quite a bit. And he said, wouldn't it be great if we could share the work that we've done to lessen the work for other people? And that was kind of the, the germ of this idea to put together a critical edition of one of the plays that we've worked on that would feature the analysis of the incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people that we've worked with. And just so everyone can picture what we're talking about, what exactly is a critical edition? What does it look like and what does it contain? So when we're thinking about a critical edition, we're thinking about a book that has the text of Shakespeare's play, along with analysis, footnotes, historical notes, um, maybe word definitions or pronunciations, and analysis from whomever is editing this critical edition. Uh, And it may also include essays. And so that is the material that we've been putting together uh, with the notes that we took verbatim of uh, ensemble member discussions when they were incarcerated and now in these discussions that we've recorded on Zoom so that we make sure we're capturing all of that analysis in the words of the participants. And then some of them have also been writing essays and and poetry and and things like that to accompany the text, original artwork as well. Right. And you have the text on the left and what they call the glossing, all of of what you just described on the right to correspond to it. 
Uh-huh. Absolutely. And that is the way that we have found can best sort of visualize what our goal is. Uh, it is the layout is something that, of course, we'd ultimately work on with a publisher, but we have put together the sample layout that clearly demonstrates the goals of the project. And and just to step back for some context of Shakespeare in prison in general, how and why do, do your participants get involved in the Shakespeare program to begin with? Uh, is it just one of the many offerings you have in a prison, like like pottery or, or welding class, or is it part of your getting your GED program? Um, in Michigan's prisons, it is a recreational program. You know, we're part of Detroit Public Theater, and so we're a nonprofit, and we we bring this program in that is not part of a GED or college curriculum. Um, and so people don't earn any kind of credit for it. Um, they get more of a personal benefit and often a professional one, too, as they're learning different work skills and, and even just learning that they're smart enough to work with Shakespeare. Um, they may come into the room for any one of a number of reasons. Either they're, they're very interested in Shakespeare, they want to explore it further, or theater, or they're just bored and looking for something to do, yeah. or somebody convinced them to sign up, or they just, it showed up on their, their schedule one day, and, and they show up and say, somebody tricked me, I don't know what I'm doing here. But, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't, it, it, in terms of the people who stay, the, their reasons for being there in the first place, their reasons for staying, run the gamut, just as they do with their personalities and their backgrounds and such. Sure, and your participants, it sounds like, run the gamut in terms of how much familiarity they have with with Shakespeare. So what do you do in class? What exactly is the work? So we generally will have, we have a a few different models to accommodate whatever timeline works best for the facility. Um, But generally speaking, um, we have about a 40-week long season during which we begin with reading the play together, seated in a circle aloud, and getting on on our feet um, to get a feel for the text off the page and discussing it from an analytical standpoint, artistic standpoint, things like that. We also do a lot of theater exercises to build trust uh, and a feeling of ensemble. And then everything we do is collaborative. So there's no director and we cast the play collaboratively and then we begin uh, rehearsing it also collaboratively, which includes making cuts to the text again to get down to about a 90 minute performance time. So we'll rehearse it for quite a long time and then we'll we'll perform it there at the prison. So like an extended table read experience. Uh, yeah, it can go on for anywhere from two to three months. Oh, so cool. You know, what is there's so many things that are interesting about your edition, um, but What's so fascinating to me is that it features these direct quotes from your participants about the texts, and it's such a window into their lives and their experience and their thought process. And some of it, I mean, really a lot of it is really intense. And just as an example, one that really struck me, it refers to the scene in which Lady Anne is talking with Queen Elizabeth about Richard, and she says, Within so small a time, my woman's heart grossly grew captive to his honey words. And one of the comments from a, uh, a participant is, uh, yeah, she could have been like, I'll marry him, but then I'll kill him. I mean, that's what I would have been like. I'd, I'd get really close to him and then off that f- for doing everything he did to my family. That's just me, though. Wow. Now, you teach there all the time, but what is it like in your session when participants say really honest, personal things like that? 
Part of what we're there to do is to facilitate an experience where folks are able to gain perspective on themselves, their lives, uh, the people around them, you know, to connect with their own humanity and connect with all of humanity. And so what that means, because we come in and we say, you know, here's the play, let's read it together. And we don't try to teach them anything. It's just what, let's read it. What did you get out of it? And then we'll discuss and, and often debate from there. And so with a scene like that one, you could interpret in so many different ways. If you've got 15 to 20 people in the room, you're going to get 15 to 20 different interpretations. A lot of them are going to be very personal, but having been brought out of the text. So you'll get, yeah, comments like that. And then somebody coming back and saying, well, how many options does she really have? She's just a survivor. Getting so many different opinions and perspectives that that debate, you know, has been going on in our group since 2016. It doesn't seem to have any kind of end in sight, even as people get really tired of talking about the scene. It's like, oh, wait, no, I'm tired of it, but I do have one more thing to say about it. Oh, man, that must be, it must be just so invigorating, so inspiring. It's wonderful. And it's, and it's a great way for those of us who have been taught how to think about Shakespeare, how to analyze it and all that, to work on it with people who have not been taught that same, you know, thing that we're learning from them probably a lot more than they're learning from us because from my life experience, I probably would not even, it wouldn't dawn on me to interpret the scene that way, but it's not not in the text. So she's just given me a brand new perspective uh, even if she hasn't changed my mind for that to be my definitive interpretation. Well, I know you have some of the comments um, right in front of you, and and I'd like to look at some more. Uh, for instance, there's one referring to Richard's lines, I that am not shaped for sportive tricks, nor made to court an amorous looking glass. Uh, can you read the comment about that for us? I really like to think that Richard was just a normal boy, a good kid, and all these people would shun him and say evil things to him. After a while, that would cause a lot of pain and anger and hatred. And then he was taught how to fight and kill. So he got a lot out of that. But still, those whispers never ceased. That eroded him. I mean, that is so to the point and shows so much compassion and seems to come straight out of that participant's experience. Is that where the conversation went after that? Or does it continue to talk about Richard? Um, you know, the, the conversations about Richard, it, it, uh, there were several women, but one in particular who really identified with him as someone who had been made to define himself by what others thought of him, this, mm-hmm. this negative viewpoint they have of him for his, his deformity. What is he good for to them? And that, you know, they would say from personal experience, If you've been called a villain over and over and over again, if you've been told that your only value is as a warrior, if your mother clearly doesn't doesn't love you or doesn't treat you well and, and, and nobody treats you well, maybe, well, then maybe this is how you turn out to treat other people. If other people treat you heartlessly, maybe you become heartless. And so there was never any suggestion of excusing the vile actions that this character takes, but there is a a very firm stance that we needed to have empathy for him. And that a lot of that did come from personal experience. Let me tell you what it was like when my mother spoke to me, the kind of the way that the Duchess speaks to 
her son in this play. Do you really think that's the first time she's said things like that to him? So the conversation we, we will always try to bring back to the text, um, but that doesn't mean that it can't be, you know, intensely personal for people. And then there's the, the one for the line, I that am rudely stamped. Mm-hmm. When I was little, people would say mean things about my skin color, and that's why I know how to fight. I started amplifying it, and I would sit and think about how I could hurt you. If I felt not dominant, not number one, if you were stronger than me, I would attack you. That's how Richard is. I see him holding in things that have hurt him and amplifying it out to everyone else. And he doesn't tell anyone. They're standing right in Richard's shoes, it sounds like. Yes. And this is one of the things that we believe is going to be so valuable for readers of this critical edition is that it, it really, coming at the play from this place of, you know, sort of radical empathy means that uh, you can have a comment like this coming from a woman who is Black and has very dark skin and that she's identifying with this character from centuries ago, this, you know, white European king and coming from her own experience as as an incarcerated black woman today that she could identify with him so deeply um uh, was really striking and that's part of why she kind of brought us along with her into this interpretation of the play that is rooted in empathy for the villain okay so these comments and these thoughts are coming from people in a women's prison. Uh, so it shouldn't be a surprise that their perspectives that are are strongly and particularly female. But some of them are really surprising. Um, could you uh, talk about the comment that goes along with, oh, my accursed womb, the bed of death, whose unavoided eye is murderous? Yes. As a mother, you want to believe the best of your child until you're backed into a corner and it becomes evident that they are not the person you thought you were raising, because that's part of you, whether or not that's our fault. I know for me it wasn't my parents' fault I made the choices that I made, but they generally had my back even in my addiction. I don't think they knew a lot of it, but also that's what you do when you're a parent, until it comes to a point where it's very clear that that's not the best course of action. He had bloodshed on his hands. It's not like she could deny that. Pick that apart for us. What was your reaction to that comment? And can you even imagine if English professors at a university somewhere were annotating or glossing a critical edition that you would ever get a take like that? Yeah, I don't know that you would. And this is part of where having the kind of freeform discussion that we do have after we'll, you know, read a scene or a part of a scene and then, you know, what did you get out of that? The conversation got to a point where we were talking about the, the Duchess, her relationship with Richard and all of that, and kind of it, it went to a place where we were talking about when parents do back up their kids, stick up for their kids, even when they do terrible things, and at what point can you not do that anymore? And so mm-hmm. looking at the text, seeing the way that the Duchess talks to Richard and about Richard led us to a, a point in our conversation where this woman was reflecting on, based on our understanding of the text, And then coming back to the text and saying, okay, so how does your perspective inform the way we understand these characters? Mm. So it's not just this academic experience, but it's a personal and an intellectual experience. Absolutely. We will work with multiple editions of the play, and we don't by any means disregard or discount um, an academic perspective. But what we do is we say that's one perspective. And in this room, in the work that we're doing, 
the perspectives of the people in this room are our priority. That's really what we want to talk about. And it really gives people permission to believe and to know that it's not just that Shakespeare is for me, it's that Shakespeare is mine. I understand this material, and I can do that no matter what my background is or my level of education, no matter that I'm incarcerated or that I was incarcerated. Shakespeare truly is for everyone, and that includes me. I want to pick up on that because in the critical edition, uh, I just have a few pages of it, but what I've read, um, you represent remarks from people who are still incarcerated. And then there are also comments from former participants in this program who are now out of prison and commenting on the plays. And in the in the in the addition, their comments are flagged by white daggers and black daggers. So it's an interesting contrast. What what can you tell us about what you see as the the difference between the women who are no longer in prison and the women who are still incarcerated and how they look at the text. Well, yeah, it's it's very interesting because what we have is our notes from when we worked on the play in prison in our 2016-17 season and then to discuss it again now with some of those same women for some of them for instance for one in particular she found that while she still felt like she did not understand Lady Anne's actions she felt like she'd been too harsh on her when she was incarcerated, Hmm. that, you know, living more life, having more experiences had increased her empathy for a character that she really didn't agree with her choices. We found, too, that we were getting things out of scenes that we had not dismissed, but really not lingered on, uh, the, the scene in which the citizens get together and talk about what's going on. Or we had a two hour long conversation about the 14 line Scrivener speech these pieces of the play were far more relevant to us now for a variety of reasons. Like what? Well, uh, in our current political climate, this scene in which citizens get together and, and talk about what's going on, but also talk about the fact that they feel more or less powerless in the face of it, uh, resonated not only in terms of our political climate, but having been out of prison for several years, some of the women felt like they were able to discuss more the feeling of powerlessness that they had had when they were there. Um, and the, the, the same, honestly, is true of the, the Scrivener speech. Similar conversations. What is power versus powerlessness? And what is my perspective on that? Now, out here in the free world, looking back on the way that I felt then when we didn't linger on these scenes, and, and maybe that's because they hit way too close to home at the time. So did you find that people, uh, once they were out of prison, were still reading Shakespeare? You know, it all depends. For people coming out of prison, for returning citizens, the the challenges are overwhelming, to say the least, even in the best of circumstances. People come out and still absolutely have a love of Shakespeare, you know, and there will be, as part of our post-release program, we're able to do things like make Shakespeare references back and forth. Oh, I just saw this movie and in it somebody said, now is the winter of our discontent. And now I had to tell you, Franny, that I saw that and I remembered <laughs> working on the play. And or, you know, I can answer Jeopardy questions. And that was so cool. Um, some of them are pre, pre-COVID, we're going to see plays or working with groups of students that they took to see plays to see Shakespeare. And so they've created a, a community through Shakespeare and had a really positive experience where they have grown through their work with this material. And so I don't know that anybody that I've been in touch with, I don't know that they've left it behind entirely, but their continued engagement 
uh, happens to different degrees, including, you know, I guess at the most involved, working on this book with us. I am curious, what edition of Richard III did you work from? Well, we, um, we worked actually with two different editions. We worked with an Arden critical edition, and we also worked with um, uh, the Sparknotes No Fear Shakespeare. Oh, you use No Fear Shakespeare. I, I got to ask you about that because it has a really bad rap in the Shakespeare world. And some people say it murders Shakespeare's poetry or it dumbs him down or that it's chickening out if you don't force people to struggle with the original. So where do you stand on it? Well, it's been an evolution. So in the early days of our program, we had we had literally a, a $0 budget. And people, a couple of them had found No Fear editions in the prison library and found them really helpful. They felt when they were making this case to get these books that it would not dumb down our process, that it would actually allow us to go much deeper into these plays. So the ensemble was divided 50-50. I was in the no category. I, I didn't oh, really? Think it was, I didn't think it was a great idea. But, you know, I said, you know what? If we're evenly divided, let's just try it. And what we found was that we, when we had those books and then we had some other critical editions there to give us some more, more to work with, um, it did help folks, especially because in prison, people can't always anticipate when they might need to be absent. And so if they miss a session where we're covering a scene that has some really important plot points and maybe the text there is really dense, um, having that no fear means that they can catch up on the content of the scene and not get left behind, feel like, okay, I'm still right with my group. They're going to fill me in on the detail, but we don't have to spend 20 minutes going back over the plot points in this scene. One of the comments uh, that I heard from an alumni, an alumna in the Q&A portion of a, of a conference session that you had on this project uh, was, was so great. So now I'm going to embarrass you uh, because uh, they said Franny and Matt could have come in and taught us how to do face painting or how to build a box and it still would have been valuable. <laughs> so point for you. Zero you. for Shakespeare. Oh. Um, but I'm curious what your reaction to that is because uh, one of the participants in that same conference said that it was that you all had a common mission. It wasn't Shakespeare. It was this common mission that was so important. Yeah. And, you know, I agree with both of them. And I also, I will, I will defend Shakespeare here <laughs> Thank in, you. The, in this conversation. <laughs> so, so, you know, in terms of, you know, what, what they were saying, I feel like for one thing, what the first person was speaking to is the really crucial uh, role that, that mentors uh, facilitators of programs and things like that can play for people who are incarcerated um, and and for many different reasons, for whatever it is that they need it for. And so when they walk into a room where people are treating them with respect and smiling and um, calling them by their first names, then yeah, I guess we could have been building boxes and face painting and things like that. However, they're also in putting on a play, something like that, having that common goal, it does bond people together. And that's another experience that is extremely important for people who are incarcerated to learn how to trust others, but also to, to learn that others can trust them. And what kind of skills do I have that can get us to this goal with this long process working with this tough material that maybe I never thought I could do this, but oh my gosh, I can. We could. We did. 
um, where Shakespeare comes in, because any experience that gives you those things is going to be valuable, where Shakespeare comes in is in a few different ways. One is that, uh, as one of those alums you spoke of put it, Shakespeare seems impossible to many people. And once you learn that you can do the impossible, once you've conquered the impossible, then you start to think, well, maybe anything is possible. Mm. And so, so there's that. The, the barrier that we want to overcome uh, between ourselves and Shakespeare turns out to be a really great reason to work with Shakespeare. Um, there's also the fact that these plays can often act as, you know, sort of Rorschach tests, um, that, that what they're so open to interpretation for hundreds of years, you know, the playwright's not around anymore to tell us what he was going for. And so, again, because our approach is really what do you personally get out of this material, um, we find that folks are, are able to use it sort of like you would a screen on a window so that you're able to reflect and even to share experiences that you've had that are going to give you new perspective and help you grow and develop perhaps entirely new identity, way of thinking about yourself, um, way of telling your own story and, and learning to forgive yourself for mistakes that you've made and, and, and how do I not make those same mistakes again? That's where Shakespeare really is incredibly valuable because it gives people some protection while they're going through that process. Such a great case you've made, and I'm going to steal the Rorschach um, <laughs> test uh, from you if that's okay. But that all of that said, for decades, at least since the 1960s, there's been a lot of criticism of using Shakespeare in settings like prisons and mm -hmm. that there's so much racism and white supremacy and colonialism baked into the, the works. And why not teach the plays of August Wilson, for instance? Um, well, does any of that kind of critique of the racism in Shakespeare's plays make it into your critical edition? Um, and perhaps not because you were doing Richard III. Do you think you would have heard different things if you did Othello or, or Titus Andronicus? Well, we have done Othello, both with the men's ensemble and the women's ensemble. And the women also uh, took on Taming of the Shrew years ago. We, uh, we don't shy away from any of that. Um, and, and that is part of how working in, in a setting like a prison with material like Shakespeare, uh, making sure that you are, you know, decolonizing, democratizing, however you want to put it, again, by giving ownership to the entire group to decide how we deal with those things. Um, there was resistance to working on Taming of the Shrew, but the woman who was really pushing for it was a survivor of domestic violence, and she felt like in a women's prison, we needed to deal with that, and we needed to, we needed to find a way to deal with it that would, be, uh, would, would keep people feeling safe staying in, in the room, and, and, and we did, but she was the one who really pushed for it. There was um, debate about doing Othello as well, and where we ended up with that was really looking at, you know, the, the, the way that the play deals with race in the context of its own time, the way that we interpret that and what it means to us now, and how we can understand it, again, based on our personal experiences, what, how people are othered. And in terms of um, almost anything, we can find that from an acting standpoint, we find an as if. And so there's no need to shy away from that because all of us need to come to an understanding of what it means to all of us. Mm. 
Yeah, and I can see I could see that the triggering issue would come up with a lot of the plays, especially with women. Well, yeah, and I mean, especially in prison with Richard III, one of the things that we had to look out for was these the, these children being killed. And oh. so it's not only that the, there's a lot of death and a lot of murder uh, in this play. This clearly was something we had to look at with Macbeth as well, but that there were people in the room uh, who had killed a child. And so we need to make sure that we were dealing with the material in a way that Again, was we were not going to excuse an, an action like that, clearly, um, but we needed to make sure that we were handling it in a way where the people who had personal experience with that or whose own children had been killed were able to stay in the room and continue to be part of a discussion, even if it was just listening, and be part of a rehearsal, even if they were off stage. And that's part of where that empathy uh, for every single character in the play comes in, because it allows us to have empathy for every single person in the room with us, working on that play. I'm thinking as we're talking about all the people that we've had in this, uh, in your chair, um, on the podcast, and they were people of color, scholars of color, also scholars from other countries, where Shakespeare had been used as a, a ter- terrible tool of colonialism. And every time we, we talk to the to these guests, your, your analysis and your interpretation of the play, it, changes, can change very radically, and it just broadens it out to encompass our entire experience. Um, and I feel the same, what you're talking about must, it's the same kind of work that, and I notice we're avoiding calling the people who participate in your program inmates, because I don't want to pigeonhole them as their whole identity is as people incarcerated. It's really, they are people looking at these plays, talking about what it means to be human, and being human is making mistakes and getting and and paying for it, uh, um, as well. So, is that how you is that how you see your mission? Because that's that's really how it, it feels that way. Reading the edition, yeah, absolutely. Um, if what we are wanting to gain from Shakespeare, and I think most of us are, is that deeper understanding of what it is to be human, then what we need is to um, to have an understanding of it that comes from every human, you know, we need every human perspective on this material that that we can get. And the perspectives that these folks have had, and keeping in mind that anyone can make commit a crime and, and go to prison. And so what all of these women have in common is their having been incarcerated. And, and beyond that, it's, well, what else do we have in common? And it turns out it's quite a bit. Um, but coming from so many different kinds of lives, uh, and and not being given a, a prescriptive way of approaching the material, they're able to really give a gift to themselves, to each other, and to everyone who is going to read this book by bringing their analysis and their experience to the forefront and and saying we have just as much right to be part of this conversation as anyone else. Well, Franny, thank you so much for this work that you do. It's so inspiring, and it's really great to talk with you about it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was really a pleasure. Franny Shepard-Bates is the director of Shakespeare in Prison for the Detroit Public Theater, where she's also an actor, director, choreographer, and dialect coach. She was interviewed by Barbara Bogave. Franny and her collaborator, Matt Van Meter, have created the manuscript for their critical edition of Richard III, but right now they're looking for a publisher. If you happen to be a publisher and this strikes you as something you would like the world to see, 
please get in touch with them at DetroitPublicTheater.org. Our podcast, Your Imprisonment Shall Not Be Long, was produced by Richard Paul. Garland Scott is the associate producer. It was edited by Gail Kern Pastor. Ben Lauer is the web producer with help from Leonor Fernandez. We had technical help from Andrew Feliciano and Paul Luke at Voice Tracks West in Studio City, California. If you're a fan of Shakespeare Unlimited, please leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. Shakespeare Unlimited comes to you from the Folger Shakespeare Library. Home to the world's largest Shakespeare collection, the Folger is dedicated to advancing knowledge in the arts. You can find more about the Folger at our website, folger.edu. Thanks for listening. For the Folger Shakespeare Library, I'm Folger Director Michael Whitmore.